0: I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture, to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Let there be light. <laughs> Good to be with you today. Happy Sabbath. I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you for leaving a very respectful gap. Uh... <laughs> uh, I, I am delighted that you are here. I feel like I might chase you this direction at some point, but that would be unfair to those who had the courage to sit close. Thank you to my family members and friends. <laughs> Welcome, though, to our worship. Welcome to our continuation. We've just got two more weeks in our steps series. So, by the way, we've got college students who this is their last week with us because they'll be about to go on summer break, right? We have others looking forward to graduation weekend next weekend. Today, our penultimate, if you don't mind that kind of language, our next to last uh, service here on steps is pleased. I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew 16. I don't mean that it's, yeah, the title is pleased. That's what I mean. Matthew chapter 16, if you don't mind finding your way there, and I direct you to the 24th verse where Jesus says these familiar words. Matthew 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This conversation about sacrifice, the way of Jesus. Uh, Thank goodness Jesus went to the cross, but have you you thought to say, thank goodness he invited me to go there too? Well, maybe at the foot of the cross, but to actually take up a cross and to follow him. And lest you be misunderstanding of where he's headed here, he follows it with these words, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And Jesus introduces this paradoxical notion in a world where our understanding is, if we're going to succeed, we have to get it done ourselves. If we're going to have something, we can't rely on someone else. This is not about handouts. We're going to get this thing done. And in the midst of it, Jesus says, "Actually, there's a countercultural way of thinking I want to introduce to you that not only is the cross a place where you come to receive, the cross is the place you come to give." And there's some unique thing going on here as Jesus invites us into Romans chapter 12 as we're going to study. As we do, I just uh, before we pray, I would just like to suggest to you something. I believe with all my heart Jesus is here. And there's something else that I believe deeply and strongly, and that is that Jesus is Pleased. I don't know, Randy, was that your daughter that prayed? Thank you so much for having your daughter. (laughs) She looks like she is out now. It was an exhausting prayer. But I just want to tell you that as that prayer ascended to heaven, Jesus is pleased. And you may have grown up with a view of God that primarily gives you a sense of foreboding? If so, lean in. Because Jesus has longed to get here today because he knew you would be here and I would be here. And his heart was ready for the pleasure of spending this time with us, with you. So let's bow our heads. As we dig on in to Romans chapter 12, Lord God, thank you so much for your blessings, for your presence, and for your word. It is difficult to kind of counterbalance this notion of our need for salvation and the, the cross of Christ and what it means to us, and yet your call for us to take up a cross, for us to take on a way of thinking that we associate with you, but man, to think that all of your followers would have this ingrained in us the DNA of this notion that we lay our lives down, and it is in laying our lives down that we get it back again somehow in the midst of a world of self-centric behavior, of clamoring for more, of what I can get. We pause to consider your sacrifice and your call to us in Jesus. We claim the promise that you look on this moment and our prayer, pleased. We're yours, amen. Amen, well, uh, we're gonna spend our time primarily in Romans chapter 12, so find that. Flip to, dial up, whatever you need to do to get to Romans chapter 12. Some of you well aware that the book of Romans is, its. I mean, I don't mean by pages. I mean by thinking and thoughts and words and challenging notions. And Romans chapter 12 is a dense passage, which we're going to give a go. We're going to try to stir our way through it and unpack some of it and what it might mean to us today. As we do so, though, I'd like to draw your attention to, you don't need to go there but you'll notice it here, you'll remember it in the storytelling, Genesis chapters one and two, you remember in the beginning. In the beginning, of course, John says, was the word. In the beginning, God created this word. Not anything was created without his involvement. And of course, he creates light out of darkness and the sun, moon, stars, the firmament, the heavens, the the water and the, the land and he creates all living creatures, especially when he comes to the moment of creation of human beings, we lean in and listen. We look to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 where it says that the Lord God formed, from the, formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Preceding that, God says, hey, let us make man in our image. Do you know you were made, have you ever had somebody say, when God made me, they broke the mold? Uh, Which is an interesting notion, both that there would be a mold in the first place, as if to say we could replicate this thing, but nope, not anymore. Do you know you were made in a mold? You were made in an image? You were made in the image of God, and amazingly, embedded in that notion, this let us make man in our image, and God makes us in his image, and it is in no one else's image, and that's bizarre and amazing. So out of the dust, God forms them, and God breathes, and the Hebrew word for breath, breathing in, is is the same word that can be translated spirit the Spirit of God comes in that wakes us up, brings us to life. You know it is the, the breath of God that gives us life, yeah? So as we get started, I'd like to do a little something because um, uh, I'd like to illustrate the idea that you were made in a mold. And, and here's the honest truth. You might think you are just this this one-of-a-kind person which is true, but that that means that you're not in any mold, I'm gonna suggest to you, and so will Romans chapter, chapter 12, that you are being formed right now in a mold. I have a mold of a heart here. That you are being formed in a mold. The question is not whether or not you are being formed in an image, being formed in a mold, being formed with certain kinds of characteristics. That's the foregone conclusion according to Romans chapter 12. What the question is is which mold are you being formed in? The mold of the world, you may not have thought about it, but as you participate in what's going on in the world around us, we know it truly, when we grow up in a certain family, we're affected by that family you say words like your family says my mom would tell me that if if she were walking along and she could only see from mid-back down on three particular men myself my brother or my dad she would know exactly who it is we all walk the same she says and i have no i don't i don't i I wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to mimic it i mean i guess i would but i don't know what that means even how you talk, how you act, how you move, the notions that you have, the ways you spend your money, the ways you spend your time, the things that you find easy to joke about—all that—it's being, you're being molded. But, but Romans chapter twelve is going to suggest to us that you have a choice to make between which kind of mold you are going to live in. The choice is not whether you're in a mold or not. The question is which kind of mold. You're going to live in. So, I thought I would mold something. I'd mold a heart here. I think it's, um, so thank you, by the way, to Dr. David Otis, who has uh, given me the use of a variety of things. He's my dentist, some of you as well, possibly. So, here we have some, we'll call it dust. Yeah, we've got some, some dust. We'll put that in there. <clears throat> Very good. And by the way, the, the breath of God, the Spirit of God waking us to life, what are, what are some of the metaphors for the Spirit of God? Anybody? Well, water is one of them. The rain. So here we have some water. I'm gonna pour a little bit of the water into this dust and then pour that into the mold. Yeah, okay, we're, we're, we're in tight. <laughs> okay, we'll see how this goes. Pour a little bit of that. And uh, hopefully, I won't make too much of a mess here. Needs a little more water. Okay, that ought to be getting close to the right amount. How many of you like playing in the mud? Ooh, that still needs more. Now, it's starting to get somewhere. Got to keep working the, the mud. I've often wondered. If in that moment, as God pushes clay together, what would that look like? Does, his, does God's impression, does he, because his hands are leaving an impression in the mud, as he kneels into the mud to make Adam on that riverbank? I would suppose, do his de- knees, do God's knees make an impression, I wonder? Just a tiny bit more. Water. His hands. will, we know that as he forms Adam out of the dust. Okay, so I've got, I've got generally what I think I need. Yeah. Okay. We'll try this. We'll just just put a blob of the mud, the clay. I don't know how much this is going to require, but I'll put I'll put that here too. So I don't know how many of you have one of these at home, but this is a uh, a little vibrating. Mm-hmm table. I've got to kind of keep track of where everything's headed. Uh, it Looks like I could use just a little bit more, <clears throat> which we have. Thank you. Just talk among yourselves. It'll be fine. And we'll just put that in there too. And this is the moment, the dangerous moment, I'm pretty sure, where I need to kind of hang on to this. <laughs> All right. We'll let that make its way vibrated a little bit there. All right. So we're going to let that mold sit. Right now, whether you're conscious of it, you might be able to see the mold, you might not. You might forget about the mold. You might not be realizing that you are living in a mold right now and that you have to choose, quite consciously, not to be in the mold that the world has for you. But I'm gonna invite you now to dig through a little bit of Romans chapter 12. Here we go, ready? You're in Romans chapter 12. And these first couple of verses, verses we're going to spend a little bit of time on in particular. It says in the New International Version, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I loved, by the way, what you guys did with the plants. And when you asked about worship, what is it that is worship? I don't know, maybe because I'm not sure we saw everybody's answer, but I wonder if anybody here said, you know what seems critical to worship is sacrifice. I don't know that you were thinking that way as as the Christian church in Rome in their little house groups would have read this letter from Paul, they would have heard this, especially if they had Jewish background, but all the Christians as well would have read this and understood that he is making reference to the whole sacrificial system, right? Because you came with a lamb, it was sacrificed. There is a little difference here in that this is a living sacrifice. That's a different kind of a notion, but this is kind of temple language. And we don't always think, you know, sometimes we think of worship as profoundly and uniquely and completely a noun. It's something I go to get. I go to receive. And Jesus would say, again, as you come, as you come, Sabbath by Sabbath, as you come, you come to the place of the cross and understand that the place of the cross is where salvation resides and it is a gift to you, yes, and it is the place where you pick up yours, where I pick up mine, where you are called to sacrifice. And that worship is far more than a noun, it's a verb, it's something that you do, you give to God. And so Paul points out here that this is a spiritual act of worship, this sacrificing of yourself. Then it goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Ah, I'm just realizing, remembering, I need to wipe this spatula off or it will kind of conform this way over time. There we go. It's borrowed, so that thought struck me as I was standing over there and looked over and saw it sitting in there. So don't conform, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I just want to invite you to this, this Moment of understanding that as we come, and Paul urges us, give of yourself as a a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, and that this is pleasing to God. I want you to consider what that could even mean. As I mentioned, I loved your daughter's prayer. Um, It might be taken differently if. at 21 or 22, that were your daughter's prayer. I think about my own children as they grew up and learning to walk, for instance. I, Isaac, when he learned to walk, um, we, I was, we were in Spruce Street uh, at Spruce Street in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, a house. I'll just give you this little calibrating notion. Our house there, you come in the front door and just like this, and there's steps that go up to the upstairs, and a hall, and then the kitchen on the right side. If you keep going around this larger kitchen, then there is an opening, not a door so much as just an opening to a hallway. There's a dining room here, but the hallway goes around behind where that staircase is, and there are bedrooms back there, but it also then comes back in around to the living room, and right back around. So there's a, a full loop, some of you with children who learn to walk, you understand where I'm headed here. Uh, Isaac would end meals often in nothing more than a diaper, just out of clothing laundry defense. He, uh, you know... I, <laughs> Uh, thinking about things that you grow out of. Do you you recall any of you parents when your child was first eating food, not even solid food yet, but the baby food bottles, right? And if you gave them, because you're trying things and there are peas and there are you know, fruit and all sorts of different pureed little baby food things, right? And do you ever, anybody here remember a moment when you fed your child something that they instantaneously knew somewhere deep inside, they did not like this? And what did they do? They raised their hand politely. Um, just, th- this, is, this is, no, that's not what they do, is it? They do this move right here. And it just drains down the chin and down to the belly, which may be not even clothed at this point because these things happen. Pizza. Pizza was part eaten, part worn. When it began to be eaten by Isaac. So, this particular day, he's now been squeegeed off, basically, and set down from the high chair, and he's just at that point where he can kind of walk, right? And his pudgy little legs, his belly, again, I don't know at what age this is allowed to be cute as your primary feature, but it was it was kind of mesmerizing, actually, especially after eating. Big, huge belly. And as he would kind of work on walking with the fluttering penguin arms and the legs that were kind of like brand new baby horses, right? And he would start to walk, and wherever the belly went, wherever the belly pointed, that's where he would follow, right? I mean, it would be like, okay, we're going there now, right? And I remember him in the kitchen kind of making his way around, kind of just wobbling faltering finding his way around and he was going to do the loop and he did this for a while actually and he'd get to the back hallway where there's the carpet and there's that quarter inch rise right with the carpet tack area there and I watched him do this a number of times as he kind of rounded the corner and got to that and got a foot up on that whoa that's just way too that's too much you know it took him a while to be able to get up the rise Scroll forward a few years, I'm going to guess three-ish years. Back in the day when you could go into airports well past what is now security and onto the gate to greet somebody coming and arriving, and I'm coming back from a trip probably a week long, and my wife has arrived at the airport to pick me up with our three children coming to the gate, but I had gotten there early enough. They weren't at the gate yet. It was this wonderful moment where I got out of the plane, pulling my carry-on along, came around the corner, and I could see them down the, down the terminal way in that hallway, and nobody in between us. It was a night flight, and I was one of the first off maybe. And so there they were, and Isaac catches me, my eye, and he begins to take off running toward me. Yeah, I mean running in that little just kind of barely under control mode. And the problem was that the, the, the terminal from where they were to where I was had a rise in the uh, floor That was going up a ramp that was going up and as he's running his calculations he has somehow missed the geometry hasn't been quite right in his head so that he has not calculated that rise even though you could see it for a long way coming so that he began as as running began to lose control fighting it for a few feet of course and then have you seen like on a national geographic dodo bird's land And they they come down and it's it's, you know big and looking like things are going to be okay and then they hit the ground and it's like bam wham it's a wonder a beak isn't flying off and all of this right down he goes it's a wonder he didn't lose a beak in that moment and then of course I did what you would do too is I just I don't know I don't know that guy are you kidding me What I, my heart, this father's heart is filled with is this understanding and this notion of a little guy who is running to dad. And I made up the distance in a flash to pick him up. My heart is filled with the pleasure of being wanted as a father. Today, Right where you are. Know this. However faltering your footsteps, however bumbling your mishaps, no matter what you have been struggling and suffering with, how you have blown it this last week as you come to Jesus, as you say to him, I'm, I'm interested, I am willing, I am here for you. I'm not just here to get. I'm not just going to take the mold of the world and be all about what I can kind of grab in some you know, self-centric singularly self-centric relationship here. No, no, no. I am here to give my heart, to give myself, to give a living sacrifice to you. I'll tell you what, the heart of the Father is deeply pleased. So... We can read it this way again, therefore I urge you brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I want to I read back through these two verses in the Phillips translation from about 1960-ish um, out, of, out of England. Philip's translation, and I'm going to start with verse 1, and it reads this way. I love the way this is put. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to him and acceptable by him, and then... Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. It meets all of his demands and moves toward the goal of true maturity. these two verses, they go together, that, that it is that we are called to give our lives our living sacrifice. But giving our lives in a living sacrifice to God, Paul would say, just keep in mind that everything around you, the mold that has been set around you is trying to convict you and convince you that that's not something to do. To give to God first. By the way, being a living sacrifice to him means career comes after what I figure out he wants from me. Everything comes after, fits in along with what it is that he is calling out from me. But I love this word in the Phillips translation that you see in red here, maturity. It's one of the reasons I really loved your your example of the growth here, the flowers, because when they're just in the seed packet, are they flowers? Well, they are the seeds. of the, they're, they're perfectly formed seeds, unless they're damaged or dead, right? So you plant them. And that moment that, a little sprig of green pops through the soil. It is it is perfect in its form, right? And then on it goes as it grows and it might flower out, and then the flowers may fade and die away and then come back again in the winter time. Or, or spring. And the idea of that agricultural notion is that there is a cycle leading to maturity. And I love this notion. That as you sacrifice, as you are a living sacrifice, guess what, Jesus accepts day one of that in its immaturity. And he is pleased even with the least mature moment that you are in growth in maturity. Now everybody knows either the plant keeps growing or it dies. It doesn't just kind of, you know, I think it's pretty rare that it's just stasis, right? Growth or death. And the same for me, the same for you. And this notion of of maturation. And then the notion of the way God would look at you. Because, you know, the way I look at a child of mine as they're learning to walk is completely different than I look at, possibly, uh, an adult who has been walking well for years. But there's a fascinating thing to consider as God says, I am pleased with you, that he looks at you far more generously at times, it would seem, than you do or others do that possible in fact he has a way of looking at you that sees a span of time and a maturation process i we won't delve too deeply here but i love this quote from the book desire of ages the thinking of jesus in considering his disciples which goodness this is a ragtag bunch of failures let's just be honest and in this particular chapter that this quote comes from, it's prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, it's prior, for instance, to, to Peter denying Jesus and all the disciples running in fear, but in, in the midst of this, Jesus looking at the life of his disciples, the way he, would, he looks at it is as a series of uninterrupted victories, not seen to be such here by you, by them even, but recognized as such in the great hereafter. Amazing. Now, it makes some sense as we think about our children, Tisha, doesn't it? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Always startling to have your name called out. It it makes some sense because we can see a series of victories that are so prominent and show growth and, and maturation in the kind of way that we're not really focusing on the fact that they... They they had a faltering step and they fell as they're learning to walk. But it is a series of uninterrupted victories. And this is how Jesus looked at the disciples. Could it be how he would look at you? As you give of yourself, as I give of myself, in this living sacrifice, giving of your body and your actions, But guess what? It's not just your actions. One of the things that happens as we theologize is we tend to either focus entirely on your actions or entirely on your thinking. And Paul here stitches them together and says that these are inseparable things, that you are a body to be given. Your actions matter. And in fact, what what he's saying here is the sacrifice of your life is to actually say, Lord, what would you have me be and do? That I am here leveraged for the cause in the name of Jesus Christ. Not just for myself. But it's in both what I say, what I do, what I think. This is given a little hint toward as we kind of take a look again at, at Phillips and his translation. We'll look at the New King James Version in a minute. Because this portion that's, that we read in the New International Version, that this is your true and proper worship, actually is translated in other versions to to be something having to do with the thinking and the mind, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship. That it is an intelligent act to give of your body, that you, it takes the combination, you're not, you see, as, as Paul would write this, he's writing in a context, Where Greek philosophy had really come into vogue and was predominant in the day, and the Greek philosophers would tell you that there was the the body is is where all the bad stuff happens, and it's, it's you know it's nothing compared to the thinking. The thinking is where the big stuff is. It's all about the thought. And so you had the common folks who did not actually, they were not privileged enough to be able to spend their time in thought all the time. Like in academia, you had to do the work. So if you're wondering why back in the day, in the original academia, for instance, being a doctor was not a part of the Greek academy. No, that was something that was in the doing category of the body, and that was demeaned. It was lower. It was degraded. But not so with Paul. Paul has a high view. Jesus has a high view of what we do with our bodies, and that we could be a living sacrifice in, with our bodies, and that it is a combination of our thinking and our doing. These things stitch together in the New King James Version, it translates it this way. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a, your reasonable, again, the reasoning side of this, your reasonable service. So, we read it. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this, this idea that, that Phillips would translate a mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. And this is the point that Paul is making. You won't avoid being in a mold. You're either going to get squeezed into the mold of the world, or you're going to pick the mold of Jesus. That's, those are the two options you could say you're not in any mold, <laughs> but you are. I am. And the counterculture of Jesus is to say, I'd like to remold your life. I made you in my image, and I wanna get started now. I wanna get started now in the remolding process. So give your life in this living sacrifice. It's kind of almost oxymoronic, the idea of a living sacrifice, right? Especially if you are familiar with the temple services and, and the lambs that would come and be brought. There wasn't a living sacrifice. It was slain and sacrificed. And of course, Jesus on the cross, he is a sacrifice that dies, right? But there is hinting in, his, in this statement that this idea of a living sacrifice, this notion that if in the name of Jesus Christ you would take up your cross and sacrifice for him, guess what? The story doesn't end at the cross, does it? No, Jesus goes to his death on the cross, having been condemned to die for your sins and mine, and then is laid in a tomb and rests there until a Sunday morning, we just celebrated recently, and what happens, it is the opening of that tomb and the resurrection story, and he comes to life. And what Paul is suggesting here is, look, you, you know, the world, you'll, you'll, you'll get bumper stickers that will say, uh, whoever dies with the most stuff wins, right? I think the appropriate reaction to that is whoever dies with the most stuff is just dead. In a world where there is another choice, there is another mold, See, whoever dies and is raised back to life, now that, now that, I mean, I don't care what kind of stuff you might have, especially when compared with the riches of the king of the universe who has said you are not only going to live, you will be my son, my daughter, you will be my prince, my princess, all that I have is yours. so this notion of a living sacrifice actually points to the promise that when you give yourself in sacrifice to god you actually are laying claim to the resurrection so that jesus now it makes so much more sense to read that jesus would say those who would that would save their life they'll lose it but if you want to you want to really live give your life away See, it's a counter-cultural mold. It's one that you don't necessarily understand that is not natural to me in this world. But that's the mold that Jesus has for you that he wants to reshape. And I just encourage you, you know, N.T. Wright uh, makes this comment, the path of self-sacrifice is the path of self-fulfillment. He's reflecting on this particular passage when he says that, as it turns out, sacrificing yourself is the way forward to every good thing God wants to give to you. And that does not mean your days are numbered. Paul will go through the rest of this chapter describing the walls of this mold, the ways of this mold, how God creates in us The heart that he intends for us to have. And if you read it, I'll just bounce down through a couple of things. If you read it, you'll notice he spends time talking about how we sacrifice ourselves by virtue of being a part of a grander body. I think you should, I should pay attention to the fact that the gospel in the New Testament is not singularly, simply about me and my salvation. It's about bigger stuff than that. And one of those pieces is that God calls us into a community of Christ, his body. It may seem safe and even wise at times for you to withdraw from the body of Christ. And it may be that you're watching this online and have yet to return to being a part of the physical body of Jesus Christ. I wanna suggest to you that Paul, in all the body metaphors you read about in Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians and in this book and in this chapter, Romans chapter 12, that It is a call to be a participant in the body of Christ and that this body of Christ is about one thing. And he'll dialogue about it in a couple of different ways. But it is about making friends for Jesus Christ, leveraging our relationships so that we know him and others know him. That there is an invitation to break the old mold that you would actually be reformed, be remade, be molded after Jesus' mold. A sacrifice, yes, but in that sacrifice is where you receive a new heart. It's where you receive full life. It's where eternal life comes from. It's where safety, security, it's where where being fully and truly loved comes from. And if you take a look I'll just give you you might note this down. You go reading verses nine through thirteen and what you're gonna notice and on is that Paul says, Okay, you wanna live a life, a living sacrifice, then what I challenge of you, what I call you to, is that you love one another. Could it be that the way that anybody would believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for them would be as primarily they gauge that there is anything sincere, unhypocritical, and true and real about the way we love each other? Ah. It says bear with one another. Take joy in one another. Love for real, each other. And then, by the way, he points out the fact that you'll go through persecution, and I'm going to just suggest to you that the agitation of what happens when you are in God's mold, it settles you into his mold for you. Truth is, though, if you're in the world's mold and you go through persecution and agitation, you'll settle into the world's mold. Have you noticed it? The people who are in the world's mold go through tough things. They get deeper and deeper, more and more bitter, more critical. They stir up trouble with everyone else, and they're throwing venom around. Yeah. Have you noticed that the exact same circumstances and experiences for somebody who's in the mold of Jesus Christ, and they seem happier than you are? They seem to have something you wish you had if you're not in that same mold? It's the kind of peace that, that scriptures say, that, and the song says that the world doesn't understand and the world can't take it away because it's found in the mold that Jesus makes for you. But Paul goes on. He doesn't just say, don't, you know, you, you bear up under persecution. He says, pray for those who persecute you. And by the way, and I love this verse we'll, we'll just touch on verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now he's pointing out. He's not pointing into this church. He's pointing out into our communities, and he's saying, look, you don't have to be the same. You don't even have to agree, but where it's up to you, live at peace. Show peace Even when you can't tell somebody what it is that you see as wrong in their life or the, 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 the theological understanding that you have of the Sabbath or some other something, be a person who loves their community, lives at peace with and in their community. What if those around us, we've said this before, what if those around us looked upon those of us in our faith community and said, I wish whatever it is they have, I wish I had what they have. I don't understand it just to be honest with you. I don't don't get what's going on with their worshiping on on the Sabbath day. I just know I really am glad I've got one for my neighbor. I still haven't wrapped my mind around what they're saying happens after you die, but I'm glad my son is marrying one because those people know how to love. Those people know how to sacrifice and give themselves away. So, You have a choice. I have a choice. (laughs) Might not have thought about it too much. Might think that you're in charge of everything that happens to you. Truth is, you're living in a mold. Do you want to be molded by the hands of Jesus Christ, the one who can make you for eternity? Or the crush and the pull and the pinch of a mold of this world? Simply wants to use up and throw away. Well, I call you to the mold of Jesus Christ. Let him make in you a new heart. He says it again. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. It's not even going to be about whether you stumble or trip or fall. It's about whether you are willing to give yourself fully to Him. For He says, as He sees you, I am so, so pleased by your sacrifice. Lord God, please bless us. We're going to sing a song reminding us of our focus today, and we give ourselves to you. Thank you for the message. Of your pleasure over our lives, that we would bring you that kind of joy is an amazing observation and thought. So we stumble our way, but straight toward you right now in Jesus.